Well, they're going to have to have the best bullpen of any of those teams to have a chance to go anywhere. Mm. And, and could they do that? Maybe, because they have a closer who's as good as anybody out there in their league. They have to win this on their bullpen and their defense. They can't give up runs in the field, and they can't give up runs after their starters leave the game, because their starters are going to allow some runs. Yeah. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball, brought to you by Closet by Design of St. Louis. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould, joined this week by Hall of Fame baseball writer Rick Hummel, just in time for us to run a, I don't know, what do we call it, a, a review, forensics, what do we call this, like a, a, a post-operative on the uh, a debriefing? Debriefing, there we go. A debriefing on the trade deadline. For some teams, it could be an autopsy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> they just revealed. Yeah. Um, well, I guess just start off with your thoughts. I mean, there the, the was a whirlwind trade deadline in baseball, and we saw maybe the most significant trade deadline move of all time, or certainly of many, many years, because you're talking about a 23-year-old potential future MVP being traded at the deadline. That's just, that seems absurd. Well, generally you see 33-year-old guys being traded that might be MVPs or, 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 right. you know, at, at the deadline. Uh, like Manny Ramirez was traded at the deadline a number of years ago, and he was in his mid-30s at that point from when he went from Boston to the Dodgers, right? Yeah. And uh, Soto was different, and he's he wasn't on a very good year, and he wasn't on a very good team. But he'll be a good player for that team, and Will San Diego be good enough to beat the Dodgers, which they will ultimately have to do if they want to win a world championship? But unless they can get ahead of the Braves, they could be playing three playoff games in Atlanta, and that's no prize. Yeah. Well, at least they have an offense that could take advantage of the dimensions there in Atlanta. And, you know, Atlanta beefed up its pitching staff with St. Louis area guy Jake Odorizzi, who Houston moved because they had an overflow in the rotation. There's a lot of movement there. Um, How far to the end of the diving board do you think the Cardinals should have gone with Soto? And you can say they should have jumped off it and done it. No, I don't think they should have done it. I mean, if it involved at all Carlson going to Washington, which it possibly could have. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, have, the Cardinals don't have another center fielder. Right. I mean, even when before they traded Bader, who couldn't play, they didn't have another center fielder. So you can't – and Soto does not play center field. As good as he is, he does not play center field. Mm-hmm. And so the Cardinals were kind of stuck right there with that. If he had to be in the trade, and he wasn't going to be the only one in there, but if he had to be in it, he couldn't be in it because they don't have a replacement for him. Unless they got like Victor Robles back, and then they'd have a center fielder. But then you'd have one, you'd have transplanted the 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 Washington outfield, a guy who plays good defense but doesn't hit for this sublime hitter. Um, so would you have improved? You know, it's not a one for one. It's important to like to kind of take this time that there wasn't like one player that kept the deal from happening. It was this collection, this combination of players. You know, the Nationals wanted a haul. They got it from from San Diego. It's entirely possible that Mike Rizzo played those negotiations well, right up to the fact that right before the trade deadline, he got, I mean, he spoke with Mosellock in person at the ballpark 
and a camera broadcast it. You know, I mean, AJ Preller's phone probably went. You know, I mean, yeah, out there in San Diego. So Rizzo played it well, but with the Cardinals, it was a combination, as you put it. You know, the Cardinals had real question about whether or not they could deal Dylan Carlson when they didn't have Harrison Bader coming back for several weeks, and he was the only proven center fielder. The Cardinals had real hesitation to move on and move Jordan Walker, who they think is going to be their best hitting prospect. They already think he's the best hitting prospect they've had since the late Oscar Tavares, and maybe a true bona fide middle-order hitter, the types of which they haven't really developed here, arguably since Matt Carpenter, and before that... Albert Pujols. So it's you're talking about 20 plus years, and they think that Jordan Walker could be that guy. So they were gonna if they were gonna move him, it was gonna be a whopper. You can make the case that Soto's a whopper, but it wasn't just those two guys. It was all the collection of different moving parts. You know, if you're gonna package five players, including one from the major league and four of the top 60 prospects, that wasn't palatable. If you're gonna take two from the major league team and then Two, three um, of the top 50 minor league prospects, all of minor leagues, that wasn't palatable. So it was just this kind of combination of it that, that made it unpalatable for the Cardinals. Um, but they were in it and then weren't. Um, either they were part of the group that set the stage and the price for what the Padres ultimately paid or, and then found out and moved on. But they did make move for Two pitchers. What do you make of the of the two pitchers, Jose Quintana and Jordan Montgomery? I'd like to add just Chris starters. Stratton. I'd like to add Chris Stratton to that too. Yes. I think he's going to be the sleeper of this whole deal because you can use him virtually, let's say every other day. And <laughs> I mean, he showed me something just in the one inning he pitched. A ball was hit right back to him, and on first base, he turned. Knew who was covering through the ball right to the bag, game-ending double play. Here's a guy that had never taken one PFP drill with the Cardinals ever. He played with one of the worst teams in the league, but he knew what he was doing when the ball was hit back to him. Mm -hmm. And that tells me he can be a pretty flexible guy. If Mike Maddox can work with him and bring out the best of his stuff and ignore the worst of it, I think you got somebody's really going to help you here. Uh, And... uh, now, moving on to Montgomery and Quintana. Well, Quintana is a placeholder for Steven Matz. Matz is their left-handed starter for next year and for the three years, the two years after that. Quintana has been good. He was pretty good this year for, a, a, again, another bad Pirates team. I have, I have questions in the back of my mind as to why the Yankees would let go of Montgomery, who made mm-hmm. 21 starts for them, other than the fact that once they acquired Frankie Montas, Montgomery was not going to be in the rotation, I guess. I, I guess, but, like, <clears throat> I don't know. Like, you can't find a spot. I mean, I guess we look at it from a Cardinals perspective where you can never have enough starters, and the Yankees were all of a sudden saying, well, we got enough starters, and we also are going to you know, trade you a guy who's been really consistent, not a guy who cranks out. I mean, he does pretty well with the quality starts. I guess a third of his starts, a little over a third, were quality starts. So that's good. Um, leads the league in starts. Isn't, you know, I mean, he's there. He's brought some consistency. So I, I do find it curious. Like, why would they move on from him when, you know, depth is so valuable? I guess maybe they have a 70 win cushion or something that they can do this. Well, I think Brian Cashman has suddenly jumped from August to October. 
Yeah. I mean, he, he's not worried about Bader not being able to play till next month. He wants Bader to be in center field at the end of playoff games in October, which he should be able to do. Yeah. Can he play in August? Probably not. Can he play some temper? Well, he's probably going to have to. Would Montgomery be pitching in October for them? Well, apparently Cashman thought no. Right. That's a great point. Yeah. They, they thought that, that he's not going to be part of their playoff equation, so start making that move now. Yeah. And when you, you know, when you're chasing a division title and, and, or possible wild card berth like the Cardinals are assured of winning a division like the Yankees and knowing they pretty much got to figure out a way to beat Houston, that's about it to get to the World Series. Um, you know, that's a different deal. Yeah, you're right. Do you think the Cardinals come out of the trade deadline better position to win the division than the team they're chasing, the Brewers? Absolutely, because for two reasons. One is that the Cardinals got three pitchers for a middle reliever whom they weren't using very much in Oviedo, promising, but they weren't using him, and a center fielder who cannot play, and a, a kid in the mid-minors in Nunez who's been a hitter for a number of years but was never going to be a regular player here, I don't think. So they got three guys for not very much. The shock waves that went through the Brewers clubhouse when Josh Hader got traded has already had an effect in the last week. The Brewers went to Pittsburgh and got to swept three games, two of them out of the bullpen. Yeah. And I don't know that they ever recover from that. They have they amassed four pretty good relievers in the process. They had Devin Williams move up to the ninth inning. <clears throat> they have Boxberger. They got Taylor Rogers from San Diego. They got Matt Bush from Texas. But and those, Trevor Rosenthal. They got Trevor Rosenthal, Trevor Rosenthal from the Giants. But those guys are not Josh Hader. Mm. And you know, we heard Arnado say the first night, "Boy, I'm glad we're not batting against him anymore." You know, yeah. even though they will see him for three games with the Padres, it's like they'll see him seven games with the Brewers. I mean, the, the Cardinals could not put a dent in Josh Hader. It's like Roldis Chapman with the Reds all those years. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say, yeah, Roldis Chapman who had that no hitter against the Cardinals. Right, well, there was like eleven. Like a big deal. It was like headline news. You know? Remember they brought up Tommy Pham at the one point because they're like somebody's got to try to hit the guy and he hits fastballs. I mean, Jose Martinez hit a line drive out off him. And they say, hey, we got to find room for this guy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. It was something. I, I, uh, yeah, the the two losses the Brewers had that put the Cardinals in position to tie for the division lead. One was on a walk off home run, and the other one. One was on a walk-off wild pitch. Both of those pitchers, both of those pitches delivered by the Brewers bullpen. I think there's still something sneaky good about the Brewers bullpen because of the versatility they've added to it, and we've seen Craig Council so nimbly use versatility to either shorten games or to get matchups or to draw a team into a trap for a matchup. We've seen him do that year after year after year. But you're right; part of that excellence, part of that quote-unquote genius of bullpen management is having, you know, left-handed lightning coming at you at some point in time. So I wonder what that does. Dave Duncan told me years ago, Rick, he said, the best kind of closer sends a message to the team before it ever comes to the ballpark that you've got an eight-inning game. Good luck. Hater was that kind of closer. Um, Helsley kind of has that kind of closer right now. I mean, like, teams go, well, we don't want to face, got to get there, but maybe not quite that level, but building in that direction. Certainly teams that have seen how Helsley went against the Washington Nationals and Soto, for example, are like, well, that's a shorter game. Um, is Devin Williams? Devin Williams has a tremendous pitch, but is he a guy that, or is that a bullpen now that you go to the ballpark thinking, 
got six innings to score. Uh oh. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, I wonder what would have happened with the Brewers last year if Williams hadn't got hurt, and they wouldn't have had yeah. Williams and Hader both. If they maybe they could have beaten Atlanta, and then maybe they could have beaten the Dodgers. Maybe the Brewers could have gotten to the World Series last year if they had Devin Williams. Then now, now they have him. He's been the as good an eighth inning guy as we've seen for a long time. Yeah. But can he pitch the ninth? And um, like you say, players know that they only have to be ahead for seven innings if you have two good guys and eight if you have one good guy. And Will Helsley be that guy? We won't know until October comes around and he is that guy for this particular season. Then we have a better idea. We're recording this before we've had a chance to see Quintana pitch. We're we're recording this right now in the middle of the Cardinals-Cubs doubleheader. So this podcast will go live after Quintana has made his Cardinals debut. What, what do they need from him and from Montgomery? What, what do the Cardinals need? That, that, not neither of them come with the track record of leading a rotation. I guess you could say Quintana does from the White Sox days, but that was six, seven years ago. Um, so, what do they need from them? Something close to six innings on a on a pretty good average for for start. It doesn't seem like much when you think about those guys who pitched nine innings. Never thought a thing about it. You know, th- thirty years ago. Mm-hmm. I think if Dakota Hudson had been more consistent than he has been, they wouldn't feel the need to have acquired two guys. Right. They could go with Palante still in the rotation and, and work around that. But Hudson is is more of a mystery probably than Quintana or Montgomery might be, sight unseen. We've seen Hudson, and he's not the same guy that he was in 2019 no. when he was the Cardinals' leading winner. Could he be that guy again? I think so. But he has not been that guy more than about, what would you say, three or four starts this year? Yeah. I mean, he he's not even at times the guy we saw in spring training. Like, in spring training, it was like, all right, he's putting together, putting it together, getting crisp, okay, getting the feel for the sinker. And there are times out there where he just feels like he's out of sorts, out of rhythm. He's fiddled with his arm slot a couple times. He's uh, he's now shifted his grip away from throwing a cutter, which he was throwing a lot of, to now getting more depth and movement. So it's back to a slider. Um, it's a pitch that he had before that he moved away from. So not an entirely new pitch, but you know he's using it more often. Um, you know he said the other day that this is just an experimental year for him. It's probably not a phrase that no. fans want to hear um, maybe not a phrase that his his the front office wants to hear but that's at least it's a candid phrase that, that that's, that's how it looks at times it looks like he's a guy trying to figure out what kind of sinker baller he is and you watch the Cardinals kind of pay attention to it and it looks like they're trying to figure out what kind of pitcher he is if he walks guys he just can't he can't last as a starter. He's got to walk fewer guys because the balls in play are so much that you know you can get around some of them. But you start putting those bases and putting those runners on base for free, and the ball and the ground balls get through, and rallies just start to compile on him. Well, he's a guy that I think should have a fire lit under him with the appearance of Quintana mm. and of Montgomery because. Again, sight unseen with these guys. If you had your playoff rotation set today for the first round or the second round, let's say, Hudson would not be in it. No. And he's got to be thinking about that. I would think you got Michaelis and Wainwright, you know, are in it. 
you know Palante is on your team in some capacity, you pretty much got to assume that Quintana and Montgomery are in the rotation or in some capacity on the team. Where does that leave Hudson? Well, it leaves him out unless he's going to pitch better. Yeah. Let's talk about the postseason because I am. Uh, I think it'd be real interesting to to think about how the Cardinals, if the Cardinals make it as a division one, they got a three game. There are no wild card games anymore. None of this one and out. There's a series. It's a three game series. It's all at the site of the higher seed. To that's the first round of the playoffs. Um, even with the additions, do the Cardinals have a pitching staff that has a chance? against some of these lineups that they're going to face. You think about Atlanta's lineup. You think about the Padres' Soto-Bell-infused lineup. You think about the Dodgers' lineup. Those are – you could we could maybe throw the Mets in there a little bit with Alonzo and Lindor, but really those three, I mean, do they have a, do they have the pitching yet to get through those? Do they have a guy who can – do they have two guys that can win a three-game series against that lineup? Well, Michaelis and Wainwright could, but is that a guarantee? No. I think the Cardinals' best bet is to play the game from the fifth inning on with Palante, Hicks, Cabrera, Gallegos, and Helsley, using either four or of the last five innings of those games. There's enough days off. You can pitch a guy two days in a row. you got a day off, and you can pitch, a, you can pitch the same guy the same bullpen the entire yeah. series. But how do you survive those lineups if you don't strike them out? Like how do you even get? How do you navigate a lineup that goes Soto, uh, Manny Machado, Josh Bell, you know, all the way through the Padres lineup, or that has a Dodgers lineup that has a guy like Bellinger batting whatever seventh or eighth, and maybe he's the strikeout. But how do you even? How do you navigate your way through that without like just getting some swings and misses? Have the Braves win for one thing. <laughs> okay. Well, then you got Riley and Acuna, and you know I mean uh, not Freddie Freeman anymore. He's over at the Dodgers lineup, but Olson. Um, I mean, you just got Azuna, you know, and not Cardinals Azuna, Braves Azuna. Um, I mean, it just like it, it, I look at those lineups, and I, and I the Cardinals lineup is fine. Um, it's strong in the middle, but it is not the the challenge. I mean, like the. The Cardinals have kind of a foothills, you know, lineup. It's like ah, I felt that hike. I feel it in my calves a little bit. These other teams have Everest. It's like how do you get through it? How do you even get through it? And you know, it's just I I, I wonder if they, even with the additions, have the pitching to to outlast a, th- a three game series, let alone then survive that and then go into a five-game series against the next toughest group. Well, they're going to have to have the best bullpen of any of those teams to have a chance to go anywhere. Mm. And and could they do that? Maybe, because they have a closer who's as good as anybody out there in their league, albeit for a a shorter period of time, not even an entire year, really, so far. But Helsley's as good as anybody else. He's as good as Diaz in New York. He's as good as better than Kenley Jansen probably in Atlanta. He's a better name by the Dodgers have. They're still trying to get Craig Kimbrell to be their close. That's not going to work. And now uh, Hader, that's another matter. We'll see how good he is. But but Helsley's in that class this particular year. They have to win this on their bullpen and their defense. They can't give up runs in the field and they can't give up runs after their starters leave the game because their starters are going to allow some runs. Yeah. What do you make of how the outfield looks? 
coming out of the trade deadline. Dylan Carlson, the current and now apparently deep into the future center fielder for the Cardinals, and right field now really up for grabs, would you say? Well, Newtbar has it for right now. Is he going to be able to hit 270? I don't know. Um, he's trending that way right now. He's attached himself to Nolan Arnauta, which isn't a bad place to be. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a pest to him. Well, okay, Arnauta doesn't seem to mind. No. And uh, and uh, both those guys have Dylan and Lars have both kind of gravitated towards yeah. Nolan, and and Arnado loves those guys. I mean, they, mm-hmm. and, and they they give it, you know, especially Newtbar gives it back to him. At, like when Newtbar got the winning hit, in the first game of the doubleheader against the the Cubs, he breaks up Arnado's post game interview to tell him, "I didn't think you were that fast." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> to score from second base. Yeah. and uh, so that outfield. It's not the outfield we thought it was going to be when last season ended when they had 68 home runs among those three guys, meaning Bader, O'Neill, and Carlson. And now you have O'Neill, who's a question mark every time he goes on the field almost. I mean, can he can he play two weeks in a row? Can he play one week in a row mm-hmm. now? Uh, Carlson's fine. Right field, I mean, they've got Newt Barr. They've, you could put Donovan out there. Uh, Yepes will, will be back at some point, and he'll, his bat will have to be in the lineup somewhere. He's a productive player. But they don't. It isn't the ideal outfield, you know. They're going to have to make do with that, unless you suddenly turn up with Tommy Edmond in the outfield. Mm. That might look a little different if he's playing right field, let's say, on at least a platoon basis, and you've committed to Gorman at second base and DeYoung at shortstop, which they've committed to DeYoung at shortstop for this week anyway, and maybe for next week. But I don't know about the whole season yet. Who to you is? Uh an indicator of the Cardinals' offensive success or season success. Is it Tyler O'Neill or Paul DeYoung? Which of those players needs to provide more, and what is it that they need to provide for this to work? I think DeYoung. I think that... Not a 30-home run. Well, they're both 30-home run guys. They're both in the past 30-home run guys. Because DeYoung... Is not going to get hurt in all probability. He got he got to hit by a pitch and so forth. But, yeah. but O'Neill has hurt a lot, and more. You know, some freak injuries and some. I don't. They're unexplainable almost. I mean, he's he's hurt his leg twice in the last month to six weeks, and that's not a good look. You know, as fast as he is, um, but I, I think they can cover that position more easily. They can cover DeYoung's position. I, I didn't like. Edmund at short and Gorman at second. I didn't think Edmund produces well offensively having to put shortstop on his plate also. Mm-hmm. I like him much better at second base. Uh, so I think DeYoung by a hair because he's he's going to be available to play every day. O'Neill, until he shows us he can be available every day, has, has not been. Uh, what is he? Has he played half the games? Mm-hmm. Maybe a little bit more than half the games. And he's got Newport has as many home runs as, as O'Neill has. Well, that's not right. Well, that's, I guess, what I wonder is, does one of them need to be a middle-order hitter for this offense to work? Does it have to be O'Neal or or DeYoung for this offense to work? Because, Or does a Gorman have to emerge? Or does Newbar have to put up a power show? I mean, you're either relying on two guys who have done it before, you need them to do it again, or young guys to do something beyond maybe their – their current level uh, of ability and experience. So does does something like that have to happen? 
Yeah, you raise a good point. I mean, uh, O'Neill is the better hitter between himself and DeYoung. There's no question about yeah. that. Better average hitter. Uh, might hit well, the home runs could be about equal if they played the same number of games. They've done they've done it before. They both hit thirty home runs. Um, O'Neill really thrived hitting between Goldschmidt and Arnado last year. And that was kind of the plan this year. And then it's, they've had different plans. Now he, he batted ahead of him for a while, hitting second. That worked out fine until he got hurt again. Right. DeYoung, I don't think can be a fifth place hitter as O'Neill can be. DeYoung. I don't know. He's not going to be a high average hitter. I can't have a guy hitting 220 batting fifth. I'm giving him 90 more points than he has right now. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's not a 220 hitter, but O'Neill is a much better hitter than 220. He will hit 270. So he, but but I I just said DeYoung for your previous question because he's going to be available to play, and he's probably got more to play for than O'Neill does. DeYoung's still playing for his life here. O'Neill's mm-hmm. got a job. Young's just trying to stay here. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it because DeYoung is trying to stay here now and stay the starter now. There's an argument to be had that Tyler's playing for what next year looks like. I mean, you know, if he is a question and not the number three hitter, not the left fielder, um, I mean, he's got two gold gloves, but if he's not able to stay on the field, then you have a team that, has to look, especially with some of the moving parts it has, at alternatives, whether that's outside or whether that's uh, Alec Burleson uh, inside. You know, so in a way, you're right. DeYoung's like playing today for tomorrow, and O'Neill's playing today for where he fits in from here. And there's a reason why Jordan Walker is suddenly playing left field yeah, for there Springfield. Is. There is, yeah. Because if Arnado stays here, and I have no reason to believe that he won't. He's your third baseman for four more years. Goldsmith, your first baseman for at least two more years. And if he keeps playing like that, you're going to resi- want to resign him. Yeah. And he'll want to resign here. He loves it here. Yeah, he wants to. He'd be open to finishing yeah. his career here. So then Jordan Walker is going to be in the big leagues in late 2023. <laughs> yeah. If not before. If not before. He's going to come as a non-roster invitee to spring training next year, and all eyes will be on him to go, like, can he make a ruckus that says, I'm here in April, I'm here in May, I'm here in August. Like, what kind of – I mean, it'll be fascinating to watch because he went to that Futures game, and while his teammate Mason Wynn had the dazzling 100-mile-an-hour throw from shortstop that everybody was talking about, I'm telling you, Commission, on the ground at Dodger Stadium during BP, what people were talking about or in the clubhouse was Jordan Walker. They're like, that guy is huge. That guy plays third base. That guy moves like he's he is gonna and he's gonna fill and he's twenty. He's gonna fill out. And, I, and one of my, one of the scenes that I watched, Rick, you'll enjoy this, is in BP. Um, Jordan was taking BP. And I watched him get in the shell, right, for BP. Then I saw him get in there the second time, and he stood outside. Like, his stride was outside the shell. He was so far up away from home plate that his stride was outside the shell. And uh, and I asked him about him, like, what are you, what's going on? He goes, BP was slow. The guy throwing BP was slow. I'm going to face much faster pitchers in the game, so I needed to get there quicker. So I moved up to simulate so I could at least get some sense of speed. You know, a small thing. But goodness, that's that's 
that's pretty good baseball. So that's really good baseball savvy and fascinating. And people just were like, this, this is, this is a hitter. This is a guy who is, he might be the best hitter on the field. Well, in, in a year and a half, you got to find a way to have in the same lineup, Goldschmidt, Arnato, Carlson, Gorman, and Walker. That's five pretty good ways to start. Now, yeah. you, you got only four spots to go. And we haven't touched on the middle infield. Either one, there's a shortstop and second baseman, and a catcher. Which well, that, Gorman's not your second baseman. Well, I don't know if he is my second baseman. I guess he could be my DH. Oh, okay. But let's say he's my second baseman. You got a shortstop, a catcher, and an outfielder to DH to deal with plus a DH. And the guy you mentioned just briefly a little while ago, we don't know a whole lot about Alec Burleson. We saw him in the right. spring. He was an overmatch in the spring, but so was Gorman. And 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 he's, Gorman struggled. Yeah, yeah. 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 Burleson came on toward the end of spring, and in Memphis, he's been the same hitter from April first on. Same exact guy. You could, you could look at it, open the paper any day. He's sitting three thirty with the power. Yeah, every, any day, every month. Put a meter stick and it wouldn't toggle. Yeah, you, know, you put a leveler atop his months. And he surely faces left-handed pitching sometimes, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that the minor leagues, while they have experimental rules, I don't think they've outlawed lefties yet, or I don't think they've had lefties throw righties and righty throw lefty. Though maybe it's coming if that's pace of play. If they learn that. Uh, that doing that speeds up the game. Maybe that's coming. I don't know, but yeah, no. The experimental rules haven't gone that far yet. He could play left field. Could he play right field? I don't think so. I don't know, but I'd like him in left field, and I like him as a DH. Mm-hmm. Well, they have a lot of guys you like. What am I? I mean, Yep has had a couple big months for this team. He's not to be ignored from the equation for right. the future, even for this year. What, what happens when he comes back? Yeah, and he'll be back in a in week to ten days. Does he get most of the DH at bats? Do you put him in? Do you put him in right field with Newt Bar on a platoon? I guess you could, and have Newt Bar finish every game. You know, mm-hmm. uh, whether he's starting or not. I, there's a lot of things that could happen here. Uh, and, and you know, as uh, O'Neill, if O'Neill plays every day and DeYoung produces as he used to. They should be fine, no matter what the rest of the lineup. Like they can get by in right field somehow or other. Right. They, if they get left field and shortstop squared away, they should be fine. It's so interesting that you outline like the five guys to fit into a lineup, and it, they, like you said, that leaves one outfield spot, catcher, and shortstop. Yeah. So which of those is going to change next year? Obviously, catcher, but is that is the is the catcher going to come from within, or are they going to make a change without? Which do you think should come from outside? If they if they make a choice outside and go into the free agent market or look for trade to just kind of shift the look of this team, which of those positions would you do it with? I would bring in a veteran catcher and not necessarily anoint him as a number one guy. Mm-hmm. I would say, here's Kisner. He's still here. And Herrera's still here. Herrera didn't get much of a chance. I mean, he, he when not. he played... He, he played as if he were nervous. He probably was. He played like a twenty-year-old. I mean, but yeah. but he's he's been too much of a prospect for too long, especially as an offensive player, to say he can't do it. Well, why why not? I mean, you can make him a better catcher. I think we're not never going to see the catcher that we've seen for the last two decades. We're right. never not going no matter who comes in. But I bring in a veteran catcher. You may have to sign a guy. I don't know if you can trade for him, but you may have to sign a guy. I don't know who that is. Not Wilson Contreras because he doesn't catch very well. You need a guy who can catch and throw and hit in the bottom of the lineup, but secretly hope that Herrera is ready to play in the big leagues next year. And he mm-hmm. might be. Yeah. 
And Kisner, I think, could be a backup for either one. Hmm. So that's how you, we wouldn't make a bigger reach move for for some, you know, middle order kind of right fielder or some slick playing shortstop. No, I think like the Cardinals maybe have misread the rules here when they got the DH this year. That meant that the pitcher didn't bat anymore. Well, the Cardinals should have had the DH for the catcher. <laughs> they, their pitchers can hit. Michaelis can hit. Wainwright can hit. Mats can hit. Those three guys are, this is tough to say, they've almost better than Kisner, Romine, and Molina have been this year. And the shortstop, I mean, the shortstop position has also yeah. hit like whatever one whatever this season. Well, 132 for DeYoung. Yeah. And Edmund surely couldn't have been very far above 200 when he was playing. Right. So, I mean, it's a, and Social was hitting under 200 when he got traded. He, he played was. shortstop every day. when he Of the games he played, they were almost all a short. Right. Yeah, so it was two positions that could, could have benefited from the DH. During the press conference after the trade deadline, John Mosellock said, that, you know, I asked him, I was like, yeah, how did, or I didn't ask. Um, I asked him whether or not this made the team um, better better position to win the division or just position not to fall out of it. Um, and he had an answer about that. But, that, I mean, I think that that's a fair notion. Did this actually make this them a better team or did just – did this just allow them to kind of hold serve and wait for the Brewers to drop? I think that's still to be determined. We'll see how it goes. But he was asked, "Is how did this moves make the World Series team? And his answer was, well, I don't think anybody made moves today that would say that they're a World Series team. And I, I think the Padres would raise their hand and go, well, we did. And I think you could probably argue that the Braves – feel that way they're they're the reigning champs and they tightened up some of their you know some of their parts of their roster that will really help them in october but then mosaic said the the team has to get hot last year it took a winning streak like you hadn't had in a hundred years to to quote unquote get hot so here's my question long way around to ask it and to to kind of close the podcast with this is it interesting that the front office in that way has said now we just need to get the best possible outcome from this roster we need every player to be at their maximum when the front office then sometimes adopts a conservative approach and doesn't ask the same of itself i mean is that do you get that message sometimes like we just want this roster that we put together to be at its best and reach, and we think that that's the best way. Of course, and that's entirely fair. Every team is built that way. But then to adopt a, but for us, we we're more of a conservative group. Do you, do you, is there a contrast there, or am I missing something? No, there is, and I'm sure that this rubs people the wrong way, and more more often than it does not rub them the wrong way. Uh, and most years, the Cardinals didn't have this many prospects in tow. Right. Where I mean, the other years they didn't do much at the deadline, but they didn't have much to do much with. You know, they, who were they going to trade? Mm-hmm. Now you got guys that are everybody wants. Yeah. But most philosophy and and Gersh and everybody else is well. If everybody wants them so much. Why shouldn't we want them? We, they're our guys. We right. Don't, we don't have to do anything. I I just think that they have to outline how their bullpen is going to work the rest of the way. That's why Pilante is back in there. That's why Hicks is back in there. Uh, Cabrera is maybe the key to the whole thing. He's going to have to be what Cabrera 
has been mm-hmm. the previous couple of years and not the one we've seen this year. If he's not, that's not going to work because you don't have a left-handed presence out there. Then. Right. So, and Gallegos is fine. If you got a lot of time on your hands. And Helsley, <laughs> Helsley is, is, is great. That's how they're going to achieve anything in the postseason. It, it'll be the lineup is fine. Defense is excellent. Starting rotation, starting rotation, even with the additions, is going to be average to below average for postseason caliber. Our colleague Ben Fredrickson asked me, is this the most significant trade deadline since when? And I said, well, by default since 2014. I go, that's not like that's damning with faint praise. I mean, they didn't they didn't do a lot in recent trade deadlines. So the fact that they added two starters, two guys who are pitching very well, one starter from a 70 win plus team, um, th- that stands out since probably the most significant trade deadline or the most substantive de- trade deadline since they acquired Lackey. Um, do you think it? It, that that's a good description, or do you think it's m- the most significant since 2011, or the most since 2009? Because those are the three of recent vintage that stand out. Yeah, I mean, the one that stands out the most is before that when they got McGuire in '97. Yeah, you bet. That, yeah, had nothing yeah. to do with the pennant race. And that was the previous regime. In '11, they got a bunch of guys that that played and pitched better than we thought they could. You know, I, we didn't know much about Dotel and people like that, but it, Edwin Jackson. But they yeah. they became prime. Prime guys for them, and it cost him Colby Rasmus, and then maybe it was time for him to go anyway. I don't know. Well, that cleared the way for John Jay to play. I mean, so in a way, it was a little bit like what we'd seen here, where the trade of Bader clears the way for Dylan to. That's your guy. I mean, it's it, it, they they make kind of classic trades a little bit like that, where it's clear the guy out of the way so that the young guy there's never a question who plays. And you talk about the lackey acquisition in two thousand and. Was that 14? Yeah, it was 14. Yeah. And, it, and it, be, it became a big piece of the 2015. Absolutely. He was huge for that I, team. I mean, I, would, I think back to the – you were in the Cardinals clubhouse that day when that trade was made, and the Cardinals were stunned. That, that Alan Craig, popular Alan Craig, was gone. Mm-hmm. And Joe Kelly, popular Joe Kelly, was gone to Boston too. And here comes this, you know, irascible, <laughs> gruff yeah. John Lackey who, who – Pitched pretty well the rest of the year, but pitched great in 2015, mm-hmm. and kind of set a tone for the clubhouse. Like, okay, you guys, maybe didn't use the word guys exactly. He brought a swagger. I'm here to win, and follow me or don't follow me, and I know where I'm going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I actually think he actually said that, or there was something to the, that line, right? Like, I know what, what was it? He was like something along the lines of, "I know how good I'm gonna be." Yeah. They, they need they need to keep up. Or there was something. You're right. He did kind of say something really kind of braggadocious about like I know I'm good enough to get to October. Prove to me you are. Yeah, yeah. Well, how about you guys? That, that was. Yeah, they were stunned there. I mean, there were tears in the in the clubhouse. I mean, and Mike Matheny, the manager at the time, um, was really like. I mean, he was struck by it. They and it was one of the challenges, challenging days for him as a manager was how to then go to the clubhouse and tell them this had happened um, to really, um, you know, beloved guys were were walking out. And also the fact that they had found out the trade before they had been told. That that was also, like, right. that's like inside baseball. But for the, the, the media knew um, and had reported, we'd, we'd reported that the trade had happened 
um, and then walked into the clubhouse to discover that the guys hadn't found out yet. That that was a bit of a of a that was that played a role in in how shocked everybody was. So so back to the question: This one, where does it rank? Does it is it or is it not? Is it not significant at all? I think it is. I, I think Lackey was bigger. Lackey was a more established pitcher. He'd been on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Two World Series champions with yeah. the Angels and with the Red Sox, and Quintana has been on none. Has never been in the World Series, and neither has Montgomery. So that's what was the difference. Lackey had been on that okay. stage, you know, and had been on that stage, and and, and probably in both cases. But well, he went to the Cubs later. You know, he was on three World Series yeah. teams actually. Yeah. But yeah. and well, and, he'll tell you about it. And, and at no time did he ever. Willingly offer the ball to the manager when the manager asked for no, it. He he <laughs> I mean, he wasn't wrong. He did know how good he was. He did know he got, was going to go places in October. He's not wrong. He's a champion over and over. So he he, he did come in and kind of call his shot. Like, I'm going to be a champion. Are you going to be with me, or am I going to move on to somewhere else to be a champion? Well, I see. I think what he did as much as anything here was there were a lot of young, impressionable pitchers at that point on the Cardinal set. Waka, yeah, Rosenthal, yeah. Uh, uh, and a couple others, you know. Mm-hmm. Shelby Miller was still here then, and uh, uh, Lackey had an influence on them. I don't know that he volunteered himself very much, but he was available mm-hmm. if you wanted to ask him a question, or maybe he went over and said, "Hey, you know what? You dope. This is not right." <laughs> yeah, I did hear him say "you dope" a lot. That that was definitely his style. So what we've learned from this conversation, though, is that you think Chris Stratton is uh, is Octavio Dotel. Yeah, he could be. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I I can't tell you how many times I've seen a relief pitcher come in the game and throw a ball into center field on the first ball, hit it back to him, forgetting for the moment. You know, you see these guys point to second base and shortstop when there's a guy on first base every time. Now, how many guys actually remember what they've just done? Who, who's covering the bag? I am, to be fair, I am more interested in the pitches he throws the other direction. I think that will have more to do well, with the how, success of the card. How he's a smart guy, and if Mike Maddox says, hey, let's let's try this. Chris Stratton will say, okay, it's like a pretty good idea. I'm in. Let's go. All right. Very good. Thank you, Mr. Hummel. That's Hall of Fame baseball writer Rick Hummel. Um, Another trade deadline done, moved on. Aren't trade deadlines in the Twitter world delightful? They're just, oh, my gosh. Trade deadlines are the Twitter world is not delightful. (laughs) Neither of them. Uh, you can find all of the work from Rick Hummel at stltoday.com and in the pages of the Post-Dispatch. That's where you can find all the instant game stories, the quick hits, the follow-ups, the chats, the notebooks, the features, the columns, everything that we do constantly with the Cardinals coverage there at the Post-Dispatch. You can find the best podcast in baseball wherever you get your podcast. It's available on iTunes. It's also available at stltoday.com. It's available on all sorts of formats. Please rate and review the podcast. Let me know where it's going. Um, we're running toward the end here of the 10th season, or I guess maybe midway through the 10th season of the podcast. How about that? 10 years. That's outstanding. Uh, yeah. I, I thought, I hadn't thought about it really. I thought it was certainly seven or eight. I didn't know it was 10. Yeah, 10 years. Yeah. 10, 10 wild and crazy years of this podcast, but the podcast is only as good at, or is only here because of the community that it listens to it. So let us know what direction we're going to go. Um, I guess uh, I guess what we're going to do is go into uh, – an August that has some off days in it, but there's kind of a sprint to the finish now, it feels like. Well, after the Yankees series this weekend, that's 108 games. That's one of my milestones. That's two-thirds of the season, 54 to go. And then I think 
in the last third of a race, that, that that's a sprint. Mm-hmm. Even Yadier Molina, when he came back the other day, said there were 60 games to go at that point. He says, we're in a playoff run right now. And uh, I don't know whether he it, it sounded good for him to say that or actually meant that, but it, it, it felt good to hear him say that. The, uh, the stretch that will define the Cardinals and determine their season is when they go west to and then Milwaukee. There's a road trip coming up that is San Diego, L.A., Milwaukee. That is where the division will either be won or lost, I think. Well, if you're four and four on that trip, you're fine. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. I'm not saying they have to win those series. But if you collapse on that trip and go into Milwaukee, then you're vulnerable. But the week before that, the Brewers have a back-to-back series at home with the Yankees and the Mets. Mm Mm-hmm. Can they go three and three in that stretch? No, I it's fair. Know. I it's don't fair. know if they can or not. Yeah. We'll find out. That'll be exciting, and we'll have a podcast about it, and we'll chat about it, and I'll be somewhere, and you'll be somewhere, and we'll 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 have a lot more games to go on, and we'll actually have seen the pitchers that we were talking about today. Rick, thank you very much for uh, for joining me. Thanks for having me, sir.